0: me to first Corinthians chapter one I'll be reading uh, chapter 118 through 216 First Corinthians chapter one verse 18 for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Right. It's just a really good reminder for us to, you know, understand that, you know, the wisdom of God is folly to the world and vice versa, right? We, you know, hopefully when we come out of today, we'll see that, you know, we're not called to follow the patterns of this world, right? We're called to follow the word of God. And so hopefully, you know, you'll be encouraged by the responses um, to the questions that we have. So I think to start, um, it's a question for Kevin just to uh, review and summarize the principles on biblical decision-making that you taught on last month uh, when we gathered in July uh, as we draw application to finance work and education. So maybe you could just quickly review and summarize that
1: yeah I'm sure and um, you know this the, the main points from last logos aren't meant to be like an exhaustive thing but they're good principles to keep in mind just to kind of ground us you know as a basis for all decision-making so you know number one be saved right if you're not saved if you're not one of Christ then all of this conversation about biblical decision-making is kind of a moot point because if we want to please the Lord with our decisions You know, firstly, we need to be, you know, following him. So be saved. Um, Next, to be spirit-filled. Now, if we're saved, we have the spirit, but we can also be filled with the spirit as well, which is very closely tied with how saturated we are in the scriptures. When we're saturated in the scriptures, the spirit of God works through the scriptures to convict us of things and to guide us in that way so being filled with the spirit but saturated in his word that's also an aspect that we need to be pursuing in our lives in order to make biblical decisions um next beyond that be sanctified meaning we need to pursue holiness we we aren't here to pursue worldliness and to be like the world but we're here to pursue god's ways and to be holy and to be set apart for him so we need to be pursuing holiness and if we're not doing those things then moving on to some of these areas of wisdom and decision-making, you know, we need to do first things first, right? Um, there was also be submissive to the authorities that, the, that God has placed in your life, obviously himself and his word, um, as we just read about, but also just what are some of the resources that God has given you as far as um, people to give you counsel, but also even resources such as know, the local authorities, governments to be submissive to. Those are aspects of his grace and provision for us. So we need to be submissive to those things. And lastly, to be willing to suffer. I think that is in many ways prerequisite because oftentimes biblical decision-making will put us in a place where things may not work out in a way that is most comfortable for us, right? But making God's decision sometimes will put us in a place of suffering and we need to be okay with that so those are the five main points but i also do want to you know also comment that you know whenever you see a finite list of things it's the tendency of our hearts to make it a legalistic thing too Um, so i just you know a reminder for all of us to caution all of us that what it really boils down to is do you have a genuine abiding relationship with christ and are you walking in submission to him that's what all of those things fall under that umbrella that those things and more fall under that umbrella so those are the things that we need to keep in mind as a foundation for all of the decisions that we make.
0: Thanks, Kevin, for just reminding us of what was taught last time and, yeah, really to pursue holiness and um, a um, walking rightly with, with God first before, you know, answering any of these smaller questions. That's definitely, you know, first things come first. So, yeah, thanks for the reminder there. Um, so as we, you know, jump into some of the questions that we have here, um, first one is and i'll just be reading the question and then the opportunity for both of the others to answer Uh, so the first one is how do i know if i am being stingy with my time and money towards the church since the heart is deceitful above all else how do i know whether i am giving in a way that is pleasing to god so you know this is you know talking about tithing and you know just giving to the church uh and so yeah go with either of you
2: Um, hopefully, you know, based on what Kevin shared and going to the question, uh, if I can read from Proverbs two, six through 10, um, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. And so sort of connecting like the principles that um, Kevin just shared, and then, you know, tying it to some of these questions that have come in, um, you know, we understand the Lord is the one who ultimately gives us wisdom in these sorts of decisions, but he gives it to those who walk upright and those who walk in his integrity, right? So the call to holiness that, um, Kevin mentioned, you know, and so in order for that wisdom to really to flow through our hearts that god grants to us to make in these sort of decisions before us we really need to be uh, abiding in him as kevin mentioned and uh really um making that a priority as we think about these decisions and and the challenge is when we're not doing well in in the lord and and there are these decisions that we have to make we often fumble and we often scramble and we look through the pages of scripture and we're like What is the Lord trying to say? What's his will? When all along, you're sort of filtering these things through like a mirror that has mud all over it, right? You can't see clearly, right? And that's what we read in 1 Corinthians. The natural man can't understand the things of God. You need to be walking in his spirit. The spirit needs to be working in your heart to be able to discern, you know, between right and wrong, but also between what's best, better, and good, right? Um, But coming to that question, you know,
0: uh, how do we honor the lord uh sorry well how do we how do i know if i'm being stingy with my time and money towards church how do i know whether i'm giving in a way that is pleasing to god a couple verses come to mind proverbs 3 9
2: says honor the lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce right so god expects us to come to him with our best with our first rather than you know Well, do I have enough for this and this and this and this? And okay, well, what, what, from whatever I left over, I'm just going to give to the Lord. Uh, it's just the backwards attitude. It's the attitude of our hearts, right? It's goes back to what we read earlier in our discussion groups, Matthew 6 21, right? Where it says for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Right? So at the end of the day, giving, serving in the church, all these things are an issue of the heart. And what Christ desires is not necessarily our money. It's not necessarily our service. He wants more than that. He wants our entire heart, right? And Christ affirmed that, you know, when he says, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, right? And this idea of being totally devoted to Christ and everything we have, everything we are being dedicated and committed to him really is this idea of holiness, right? And God's expectation, if you look in the Old Testament of his people, the Israelites, is that they would be holy. That they would be set apart entirely and exclusively set apart for the Lord, right? Not the idols, not like the rest of the people around them, right? And that same expectation of his people, the church in the New Testament, is that we might be holy, right? And this idea of holiness is that we're wholly devoted to him. That our entire lives, from our giving, to our work, to our relationships, to what we do with our time, our budget, our vacation, our free time, all these things really are meant to be dedicated to the Lord, right? Now we don't come into the church thinking that way. We don't, you know, bring that into, we often come in from the world's perspective, which is, well, there are certain things that are mine. Obviously Sunday belongs to the Lord, but these are, these are aspects of my life that belong to me or to even to my family, you know? and and that is contrary to the gospel which is that when we come to christ he's lord of all right and we give we belong to him right and and by extension we belong to the church and so you know our giving and what we do with our time really shows what is our greatest treasure and who is of greatest value in our lives right at the end of the day that's what our giving reflects and so what does it show when Say members of our church are giving nothing to the church. Does that show that Christ is supreme? Or if there are members of our church who are not serving at all or haven't served in, you know, how long now there are seasons we know like Eric and Sonia they're, they're last we heard that, you know, she's going into labor, you know, Eric stepping down for, from praise for a period that's understandable, but for extended period of time, there's no participation, commitment, you know, um, service in the church. What does that reveal about who is supreme, right? And so this isn't a personal decision, right? This is, this affects the unity of the body, right? This is our business, right? What you do with your money, what you do with your time, it's my business, not because I'm necessarily controlling what you have, but because if we together say, Christ is Lord of our lives, then it should matter to one another how we're living that out and how we're helping one another live that, out, right? And so. How do you tell whether you're being stingy uh, or pleasing to God with your money and time? I think you have to trace that back to your heart. You know, do, do you give with a heart that says, Christ, you are my greatest worth and treasure, and I trust you. And what I give, I give not for any benefit of my own, but because purely because I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, similarly, when I serve in the church, it's not so that I can check off a box and say, well, I've done that or to fulfill some sort of responsibility you have in the church. But whether you're an elder, a discipleship leader, whether you're a ministry lead, whether you're serving in children's AV, you do it because you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? And so I think, you know, at the end of the day, we have to be faithful. You know, we need to be faithful stewards of the resources that the Lord has given to us. That includes our time. That includes our money. That includes everything, every aspect of our lives. We're called to be faithful stewards of, and we're to help one another be that. Thanks, Ted. About
0: you, Kevin?
1: Yeah, I appreciate the question, the, the chance to address this. Um, you know, the, the topic of giving is, if you guys noticed, uh, sometime within the past year, we switched the giving of offerings to the beginning of church service. And part of that was to really communicate this idea that giving is an aspect of our worship to God, and how we give is an aspect of how we worship our Lord, very much in line with you know the way that we sing to the Lord, the way that we submit ourselves to the preaching of God's word as well. Giving is a reflection of our worship of Christ, and as Ted mentioned, you know the concern of the elders isn't necessarily the church's bottom line or anything like that, um, but the concern more is if we're to be shepherding and overseeing the flock and where the flock where your relationship with Christ is if the giving is not reflective of a heart that worships God, then that's an issue, you know, not because the church needs this much money or whatever, but because the call in your life is to worship your God and giving is a part of that, an aspect of that. So, you know, we can't get into necessarily discussion about, you know, the amount that you're giving because scriptures say that each person is supposed to give what he has set in his heart to give. But there are exhortations to give generously in Scripture as well. So that should be a guiding principle in terms of how we give. Um, but also, it's a reflection of what we think of what the Lord has done for us, right? Um, if I could read 2 Corinthians 8, verses 9 through 12, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this manner I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So, now it. so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So Paul is talking about giving there about desiring to give and also actually following through with that desire to give according to what the Lord has given to you already. So you know, if we consider what has the Lord given to us, and I'm not just talking financially, you know, as far as salary, you know resources, things like that, what has the Lord given to you? Do you understand it to be something that he is generous with, right? when he's given us his own son, he's given us far more than what we deserve and if that is our heart attitude and understanding of who jesus is then that should inform everything that we do including how we give so i guess the question that we need to ask ourselves is knowing how generous god is to us and what he's given to us do we believe that and is that reflected in the manner in which we give so i think that is a good framework to kind of think through and ask yourself that You know, for myself, I always try to consider, um, parable of the talents always comes back to, back to mind. You know, there are a few servants, um, two of them when the master returned and they had to give an account, they came to him and they shared with him, you know, this is how I stewarded what you, you, what you gave me. And there was no necessarily hesitance that we see. There's no, there's no, you know, excuses or defending But the third servant, there was a a defensiveness there, right? And I think for myself, I frequently ask myself, hey, if I had to stand before the Lord right now, would I come readily or would I come with some defensiveness about what I have given to the church and what I have given, you know, and my generosity, right? And that's a question that you have to answer in your own heart. You know, if you are to stand before the Lord right now, would you approach as those first two servants or would you approach as that third
0: servant? Thanks, Kevin and Ted, just for the reminders that our giving is really a reflection of, you know, how we, not only how we regard who God is, but also, you know, how we regard what he's done for us. And, um, yeah, so thank you and, you know, hope that, you know, we can all take this and really consider it, um, moving forward for our giving to the church um uh, moving on to the next question the question is while the bible does not say that women should not work outside the home what things should husbands and wives look out for to discern if this is a wise decision for their family um
1: yeah i mean this is one that i think every husband and wife will need to discuss and talk through and really consider your circumstances um, and and what the Lord has called you to. And and firstly, to be clear, um, as the question sort of assumes and presumes, women are not forbidden from working outside the home. Uh, You read Proverbs 31, and that woman was doing quite a bit. uh, A seamstress, she involved in real estate, she planted a vineyard, you know, she was was doing a lot of stuff. Um, But I think the theme to really consider is, and I think this is going to come up over and over again, just given the questions that we have, is we're called to be faithful with all the roles that the Lord has given to us. Now, faithfulness, I I do want to make that distinction between faithfulness and excellence. And we can sometimes think that, okay, we're supposed to be excellent, you know, 150% towards everything. Well, not necessarily. We are called to be faithful in everything, but sometimes pursuing excellence in certain areas if it would compromise your faithfulness in other areas, it's actually not right before the Lord, right? So, when considering something like working outside the home, you know, one of the things that the Lord has for us is He calls us to provide for our household, right? Um, but that's only one aspect of things. And sometimes we can make that an outside portion of what we're called to do to where that becomes everything and we go beyond. What it means to be faithful and like, okay, it's not just about providing, it's providing a certain level of comfort or it becomes providing, you know, you know, these luxuries or becomes providing this and it kind of grows and grows and grows, which is all well and good. If you can do it all, do it all. But at the same time, are there things that we are being unfaithful with in pursuit of excellence in that one area, right? So we really do need to consider what it is that the Lord is calling us to be faithful with. And if that makes sense for the particular situation, and I can't necessarily prescribe something, but what I can say is that there are scriptures that do commend women for being workers at home. No, and we can't ignore that. And there are scriptures that commend, you know, a woman's work in bearing children and raising of children. And those are there in scripture. So that needs to be part of our consideration as well. The things that scripture explicitly commends for us and prioritizing those types of things versus the things that the scriptures don't speak as much about
2: thanks kevin ted yeah just quickly to piggyback i mean what kevin's referring to is you know working in the home right and and some that the lord does call to work in the home i sorry work outside the home i should say um but we also have to understand there's biblical priorities that cannot be compromised right working in the home is an option right there's an option for women to work outside the home, but to be workers in the home is a priority that the Lord has in his design set for women to really value and to prioritize. And so when the things that are optional or the things that are, you know, we we are able to do compromises our priorities, then we've dishonored the Lord. And so our priorities should always remain priorities. Those should not be compromised. Those are non-negotiable. So there are things like work where at seasons, we are able, we are called to work outside the home. We, as in, not me, but, you know, women are called to work outside the home, but there are seasons where the Lord is calling them to, to focus and prioritizing the home. Um, you know, there's other principles that I think of too, you know, in first Corinthians it talks about all things are permissible, all things are lawful, but not all things edify. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And so it's not talking about financial profit, but spiritually profit right? So does working outside the home benefit and and help you spiritually? Does it edify those who are around you, right? So it's not just a pragmatic decision, which often is how the world thinks about things. Well, I, I I need more money, more extra income would be nice. And so why not, right? But you don't look at the spiritual value. Is it benefiting you spiritually to be working outside the home? Or is it pulling you away from certain things? For example, the church, right? We had cases, you know, in the past where women who work outside the home, we don't see them at church as much. They're not involved in discipleship group, right? I would say that's going against God's priority, which is for all of us, men, women, if you're a believer, to be involved in the church and to be active in the church and to be serving in the church and to be invested in the church, whereas working outside the home can sometimes pull you away from those things. And so... I think when men and women, husband and wife make those decisions together, you got to think about these priorities and the principles that are there that are not negotiable, right? And always think of working outside the home as an option that the Lord gives. And it is a calling that you're, if you do, you know, pursue these things, um, I'll give you a real quick example. When Becky was pregnant with Isaiah, um, she was working, she was, she's a nurse, um, and, um. She was working at a ADHC, which is a adult day health center. And, um, you know, our initial plan was that she would work as long as she could, you know, and then, you know, obviously when Isaiah comes, but you know, it, it came to a point where, you know, it was physically hard for her. Um, but also it was compromising her ability when she came home, she was exhausted just from the pregnancy and working that she wasn't able to maybe care for me or, or love me in the way that she wanted to love me. And so on the one hand pragmatic side of me is like, well, why don't we work all the way through when your due date is so that we can get, you know, some of you guys know this, but you get paid on maternity leave if you work at your company and then they pay for your maternity. Um, And so that seems practical. That seems like, why not, right? You've sort of paid taxes into this. Why wouldn't you reap the reward later on? But realizing that there are priorities that Becky felt like she was compromising um, by continuing to work We have to pray about it. And we said, you know what? It's not worth it. You know, we'll let that go. You know, yeah, we leave money on the table, but so what? You know, as long as Becky's able to fulfill her commitment to being a worker in the home. And now that's not for everybody. And that's not to boast about us, you know, because like I said, I struggle with that because it's like, well, if you could just push two more weeks, come on, Becky, you can do it, right? No, it's the spirit of the Lord that convicted me and said, no, Ted, that's not right. You know, the, the biblical priorities that Becky's trying to pursue don't stand in the way of that, you know, even if it's to let go of that money, do you trust me and I will bless you. Right. If you, if you trust me in those decisions, even though it's hard and it's impractical, right? So I I think there's a lot to think through and this is where you, you lean on the counsel of your discipleship group leaders, people in the church, right, mature godly men and women to help you through these decisions, right? God has given us the church. He's given us his word. He's given us prayer, his spirit, but he's given us the church to guide us in these decisions. So when we sort of say, well, it's my decision, I can do whatever, you're sort of missing out on what God is trying to help
0: you with, which is to give the church to help you in these sort of decisions. Yeah, thank you for just reminding us that there are, you know, non-negotiable priorities and even differentiating between, you know, faithfulness and excellence. And yeah, you know, that's... Definitely helpful and hope you guys are um, encouraged and edified by by that as well. Um, for the next question we have, uh, how do I know if God wants me to endure and persevere in a job? And when is it time to look for another job in faith? Maybe, I don't know, Kevin, can start us off. Yeah, um,
1: I, I don't think that those things are mutually exclusive. Um, that we can do what God wants us to do in our current situation, you know, and it, you can also look for another job. I don't think that that's necessarily wrong either. So you know, I would say persevere and endure in you know what God has for you right now in your current job, you know, assuming that your job is not being a hitman or something like that, you don't want to be faithful in that. Um, but you know in a normal you know job, and you're not compromised and disobeying the Lord in that, yeah persevere, endure, there may be parts of it that, you know, are hard for you. And we understand that and it's okay. It's okay to look for another job. But at the same time, finding another job doesn't absolve you of being thankful for your current job. You still need to do that, right? So if there is a discontent in your current job, if there isn't a working as unto the Lord in your current job, you know, that's the right now, the right here, the Lord calls us to be obedient. And And we can't necessarily necessarily put that off. And it's like, oh, I'll I'll do that later when I have a new job that I can be thankful for. No, the Lord calls us to be thankful and content in the circumstances that he's given us now, right now, because we don't know. Maybe you will find another job. If you do, great. If you don't, are you going to, you know, say, oh, this season of my life doesn't count because the job is hard. I'm resolved from being thankful and pursuing the Lord. So I say do both. Um, I don't think doing one necessarily means that you don't have to do the other, um, but if the Lord provides you another job, then then great. I don't think that's a bad thing either. So you can do that, but not to at the expense of being thankful for what the Lord has given you now.
0: Thanks, Kevin. Ted, anything you wanted to? Okay. Um, next question is another job-related one. Uh, while my... or oh, sorry, it's actually for uh, stay-at-home moms. Uh, while my full-time job is as a stay-at-home mom, how do I remain joyful in the mundane and grow in pursuing excellence in what I do? Ted, you can answer this one. Sure.
2: I I think it's sort of tied to what Kevin said earlier. You know, we talk about the heart of discontentment and and difficult situations. And yeah, I I think stay-at-home moms, it's, it's a tough, you know, it's a tough, I don't want to call it a career. It's not a, career but you know what i mean it's it's a, it's a tough calling you know because you're not rewarded as you might in the workplace you're not affirmed right i mean the kids don't affirm you if anything they complain and they make a mess and they don't, you know if anything it makes life hard for us and you know th- just to say to remain joyful in those mundane it's 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 a challenge i think if any of us were in that shoes i think we would all struggle and so There's opportunities for us as a church to encourage our stay at home moms, you know, to pray for them, you know, for husbands, you know, for us to help out, to step in, you know, give them a break. Um, I think there's opportunities there. But at the end of the day, you know, where do we find our joy in anything, right? Even in the mundane, even in difficult work situations, even at dead end jobs where you feel like this is unproductive, unfulfilling, unrewarding. Where do we find our joy? Right. Where did Paul... find his joy. Where did Christ find his joy? Right. It's in our relationship in our union with Christ. Right. And, you know, I think of Paul, if in Philippians four thirteen, right. He's imprisoned for, for being a um, uh, bearer of the gospel. And what does he say? Right. Uh, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right. And this is not, I can do whatever I want, you know, but it's more, he's speaking about his contentment. I have I know what it's like to be, have plenty I know what it's like to have much you know regardless of the circumstances right I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that's that's a heart of contentment right. now he says he's learned it it doesn't mean like he's the su- super spiritual apostle that sort of no so when you're struggling as a stay-at-home mom whether you're, when you're at a dead end job or difficult job situation you wrestle with that but you pursue Christ and you find him to be the greatest joy. And regardless of the circumstances, you find joy in that. And that gives you the motivation to be excellent because Christ is your greatest joy. You have everything you need. And so you do it excellently unto him. And so, you know, where do we find the joy and the motivation to be excellent? You know, stay at home moms in a workplace. It really, boils down to how are we doing in our walk with Christ is he our everything is he the one we are aiming to please right is he the one we are um striving to be faithful to and and that's where we can find you know the the strength and and, and the motivation you know to 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 pursue excellence
0: and joy in these things when it's hard thanks kevin anything to add
1: yeah just to piggyback off of that you know um paul says in in the passage that that Ted referenced that, you know, he's discovered that secret, you know, and this is not like some secret knowledge that we're talking about. It's him being content in Christ. So, you know, one of the things that we can do is when we're finding ourselves in in that situation, whether it be, you know, a stay at home mom, um, struggling with contentment there or any of us at our, our jobs is to really ask Christ for strength in that time. Um, also, I think it's beneficial, helpful when we do find our, our thoughts kind of dwelling on that area of discontent, when we find our thoughts kind of dwelling on falsehoods to really instead fill our minds with what is, you know, true, what is noble, what is honorable. So really the whole book of Philippians, uh, I think is a great read when we are in a place where we are struggling, um, as, far as joy concerned and contentment, I think the entire book of Philippians will will really help to guide and direct our hearts towards where it needs to be in the Lord. And I think it will be refreshing for you.
0: Thanks for just a reminder to um, undergird our thoughts with, you know, relating it back to our relationship with Christ, right? Um, Yeah, are we thankful for where he's placed us? And yeah, are we making it Are aimed to please him, whether it's in in a hard job or as a stay at home mom. Um, So thank you for those reminders. Um, The next question is actually about work, uh, working from home. So if the option exists for us to work remotely or go into an office, how should we biblically think through making a decision? More specifically, how should we prioritize the opportunity to be a gospel witness at work compared to having more time in other areas of life like sleep personal recreation family church ministry etc yeah
1: um, I appreciate this question because it challenges me too um, you know I have the this is describes my situation I have the option of you know working from home um, but also the option of going to the office um, so you know I do think it's it's good to maybe, To challenge our assumptions sometimes, uh, and to be convicted of these things, and it certainly is for me, I I think a key thing to remember, I don't necessarily have the right response for you, you know, the right answer, you know, three days a week, do this, and then two days, um, stay at home. But just to remind us again that there is a lot that the Lord calls us to in being a witness of the gospel and allowing opportunities for us to be a gospel witness to those who don't know is one of those responsibilities. And we can't overlook that, you know? So if that is one avenue that we can pursue that, by all means, take that opportunity, you know, to be in the office, to build those relationships so that you can be a gospel witness and evangelize to your coworkers. At the same time, that is, it is a responsibility and a role that we have, but it is one of many responsibilities and roles that we have as well. And as I mentioned earlier, kind of, we have this theme of we're called to be faithful with 100% of the things that the Lord has given to us, you know, and that is being a witness at work and a gospel witness and testimony to those who don't know Christ. But it also means, you know, what are some of the other things that the Lord has called us to be faithful with as well? And that being time at home and that being church ministry and the things that the Lord has given to us as well. So I can't necessarily say like, this is what it's going to be percentage-wise. The Lord has given each of us different circumstances, different giftings, different resources. And we'll have to, by faith, go to him and ask for wisdom in terms of how best to handle that. So, you know, as much as I would like to give a a more concrete response in that, uh, you know, I think those are the things that the Lord would have us consider.
0: Thanks, Kevin. Ted, anything you wanted to add?
2: Yeah. Just real quickly. I, like Kevin, I appreciate that question. You know, it really challenged me to think about what I'm doing at work too, you know, more intentionally. um, I've had conversations with patients who say they, you know, some have enjoyed staying at home, but others have said, I I need to go to work. I I miss the socialization. I, I need to interact with people, you know, and I just miss just having those conversations at break and things like that. You know, just to encourage you, like, wow, that's an opportunity right there, right? For us to say, okay, well, it would be easier for me to remote work from home. It would be more convenient for me. But when Christ is Lord, when do we do things out of convenience, personal convenience, personal preference, personal ease, right? We now live for the Lord. And so even our decisions about, or how much time do we spend working remotely versus going into the office, that has to be governed by the fact that Christ is Lord. So if Christ says, you're to bear witness about my life and re- death and resurrection, and there's opportunities in the workplace that you wouldn't have by working remotely. That's something we have to consider in saying, okay, well, I don't just go to work just to be more efficient, just to get away from my kids, right? I go to be, bear witness about Christ and his life and death and resurrection and the power you know, of, of the cross in my life and, and to have those opportunities there. And so, um, yeah, for those of you who haven't thought through it that way and just said, well, seems so easy to work from home. Why not keep doing that? I think this challenge is is there for all of us to consider, okay,
0: how do we make these decisions with Christ as Lord in mind? Yeah, I appreciate that. And yeah, I definitely appreciate how, you know, there is no one size fits all, right? And it's, it's ultimately uh, an issue of the heart. And are we being faithful with the things that we've been given? And are we doing things and making these decisions, you know, out of a out of, of obedience to the Lord, and um, making it our aim to please Him. So, yeah, thank you for that response on that. Um, the next question is: Okay, I guess it's not exactly—it's not necessarily a question, but it's kind of a statement, but a question also. <laughs> Wisdom on interactions and relationships with unbelieving coworkers, uh, particularly those who identify as LGBTQ plus. So I guess, can you offer any wisdom on interactions and relationships with unbelieving coworkers? Yeah, I'll start off on this one just
1: because it's been top of mind for me lately. Um, This Sunday we'll be going through 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 1 through 13, and Paul actually addresses this uh, in some ways. And what he says is, you know, I I wrote to you in my previous letter not to associate with those who are sexually immoral, right? And it seems like, okay, don't don't associate. But he actually clarifies what he means there. And he says, I'm actually not talking about those outside the church when I say don't associate. Because then you'd have to be taken out of the world. What he was referring to is like, I'm talking about those people who claim to be a Christian and yet are practicing these things. But there is responsibility that if we have people in our lives who don't know Christ to be a gospel witness to them. Right. And so I don't necessarily think that there is in one sense, a difference between any unbelieving coworker and you know, someone who is LBGTQ plus or anything like that, they need to know Christ. Um, so I think this almost goes without saying, but it also needs to be said. We need to start off in prayer. We need to be faithful in prayer for these folks, um, that they can come to know Christ, that they need him. They need the gospel. We need to be faithful in praying for unbelieving coworkers. Um, I also think that you know, even though we are called not, not called to you know abstain from relationships with them, we also need to be wise uh, in terms of our interactions. Um, you know th- this is something that Joanne and I have had to think through too. There's um, there's a uh, someone else who lives in the community that we live in. Um, young boy around Evie's age, so, you know, there's an opportunity for them to play together. But P.S. has two dads, right? So how do we approach that? What do we do? And you're know, seeking some wisdom and seeking some counsel on this. You know, Mark um, advised us, like, you know, it's not that you need to not associate with them, but, you know, there's an aspect of considering how Christ would operate here. And it's not to excuse or to overlook their lifestyle or anything but also to recognize and understand that you know how christ dealt with the folks who were sort of outcast the folks who did not sort of weren't in the you know the the, the large middle of, of our um, of our population those folks who tend to be marginalized how did christ treat them he never excused their sin or the behavior or compromised god's holiness in any way yet at the same time he did spend time there right And there would be a calling to an account for them. So, you know, I would say that, yes, you should interact. and You should have that opportunity. But at the same time, um, it should never be in a way where you are condoning or communicate agreement or participation in the worldview. So for Joanna and I, yeah, we'll, you know, have, you know, Evie play with this other boy. And then we'll have interactions with, um, you know, her, uh, with his, one of his two dads or both of the dads. Um, But at the same time, we would never have like participate with them at a pride rally or something like that, right? That's, we draw the line at where Christ is our Lord, right? And Christ remains our Lord. And we can have a relationship with them to the extent that we are not compromising um, Christ's Lordship in our lives but hopefully bring them to a place where they recognize their need for God as well. You know, so as far as your particular interactions with um, your coworkers, the approach I would take isn't necessarily to go around denouncing their behavior and their lifestyle. Um, But because their lifestyle is not really the issue. The issue is that they don't have God. They don't have Christ. And really, where we want to be is in a place where they recognize that they're not right before God, um, and they need Him. And them, you know, going from LGBTQ to, to not LGBTQ does not give them the gospel, right? That's just behavior modification. So we need to be in a place where, yeah, they can hear the gospel, we pray, and we have the spirit work and convict them that they don't have a right
0: relationship with Him. Thanks, Kevin, Ted, anything you wanted to add to that?
2: Yeah, the chapter after, the one that
0: Kevin will be preaching on
2: this Sunday, on chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, you know, it it just gives me hope in my interactions, right, with, with our coworkers. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the Greek, greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, right? God is a God who saves, right? Whether drunkards, revilers, greedy thieves, adulterers, idolaters, including those who practice homosexuality. So there are lost sheep who practice homosexuality presently Whom the Lord is calling to himself. And you don't know if you're in that position and that you have that opportunity, right? To bear witness to who Christ is such that they might repent from their sins and believe. And so that should hopefully give us hope. I know it's, you know, even for me, it's fearful, but hopefully that the, it is intimidating, but that's the hope that the gospel does save even those who are LGBTQ. And so our calling is to be faithful in our interactions with them. Who do we look to? At the end of the day, we look to the example of Christ, right? And Kevin mentioned this. You think of God, uh, Christ's interaction with the Samaritan woman in John chapter four, right? Many husbands, one she's with, not even her husband, right? But how did he interact with her? Full of grace and truth. That's who Christ is, full of grace. But full of truth. It's not compromising grace for the sake of truth. It's not compromising truth for the sake of grace. It's both. And so that's what who we're called to imitate Christ in our interactions with Samarit- the Samaritan women and other people he interacted with in the gospels. You look to Christ, you see how he interacted. That's how who we're called to follow, and that's the example we can look to, you know, and we shouldn't be afraid, right, to to interact with these folks that God has put in, in our way because some God intends
0: to save, and we never know. Our calling is just simply to be faithful. Yeah, what a great reminder! Thanks for pointing us back to the example of Christ, and just yeah, having I guess using seeing His example for how we interact with with unbelievers, and not condoning or excusing sin, but really to um, point them to Christ and point them to um, yeah to to the gospel. Uh, so the next question is. If my manager asks, it's, it's, uh, I guess somewhat related in terms of, um, relating with, um, people, uh, coworkers. So if my manager asked me to do something that would require me to promote anti-biblical values or it goes against my conscience, for example, help promote an event for pride week or participate in a strike against another workplace, um, how can I respond in a way that respects their authority? but? still ultimately obeys the Lord. Yeah.
1: um, And and I know this is a little bit easier said than done. And, you know, from the outside looking in, not being in this situation myself, but I think you can be thankful um, for this opportunity because it's an opportunity for you to share your faith. It's an opportunity for you to, you know, let your manager know that, yeah, that you are a Christian and participating in these activities would, you know, violate your your call to follow Christ as Lord, right? Um, and it gives you an opportunity to explain what you believe and who you follow. So we can be thankful for that opportunity, even though the situation itself directly might seem kind of like, you know, I don't want this, right? Um, I, I do think that most managers would understand, even in this day and age, but in the chance that they don't and you experience negative consequences for standing for Christ, you get to experience the joy of sharing in Christ's sufferings. Um, And I don't want to say that lightly, but I don't want to obscure the truth either that it's not going to feel like a good thing, but it really is. Um, Because if that's your situation, you can rest assured that God sees and God knows um, you know we went through this passage in fof first um, Peter 3 starting in verse 13 now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed that's a promise have no fear of them nor be troubled but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So I think that passage just lays it out truthfully for us, that standing for Christ um, in many circumstances will have negative consequences. There will be slander. There will be, there will be, you know, people who may, you may not get opportunities in the future. You may be treated differently at work, you know, but you will be blessed. And that's a promise from our Lord. Um, so yes, easier said than done. Um, but you know, we stand on the truth of God's word.
0: Thanks, Kevin. Ted, anything you wanted to add on that one?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're called to submit to authority, right? But there's a limit to that, right? It says in Acts 5, we must obey God, not men. And so when they cross that boundary where we're called to sin or we go against our conscience, Romans 14 talks about whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if it goes against our conscience too, right, biblically informed conscience, not a conscience that's informed by the culture or world, but then we're in a territory where we must be willing to stand for Christ and disobey our human authority, but we do so respectfully. Okay. Uh, we don't have to be a jerk about it. You know, we don't have to be obnoxious about it, you know, but we do so respectfully. Um, and where does that come? I I do think it's not just that one decision. It's sort of built up over time, right? How's your testimony? of Christ leading up to that point, because if you're a lazy worker, if you're not being excellent, if you're gossiping, slandering, complaining, like all your coworkers, and you come to that decision where you have to stand for Christ, I mean, how is that going to look any different from everybody else? But if your testimony before the Lord is above reproach, when that decision comes, right? You're blameless right? What is, the, what is your boss going to say to you? Well, yeah, you, you're not doing what I tell you to do. I'll, I'll fire you. But like, he can't say anything about your character, right? And so I think it is important to consider that, yeah, some of you are in that situation right now. Some of you aren't, but that situation might come and probably will be for many of us, given the direction this world is going. We're going to be in a position where we have to make a decision of whether to conform and just agree with whatever the the workplace and, and policies and all that, or to stand for Christ and say, this is the line, I'm, I'm, I can't cross that line. My conscience and my obedience to Christ doesn't allow me to do that. That's coming for all of us, right? If you're not there already. But that means right now, today, we need to be faithful and above reproach in our workplace so that when that comes, we can really stand for Christ and, and they can just say, well, it's not because he's being obnoxious or a jerk, it's because he really is a follower of Christ. I'll read Titus 2. This is written to younger men. So those of you who are young in this congregation, not myself, but likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Why? So that an opponent may be put to shame, not having anything evil to say about us. Right? So, um, yeah, everything Kevin said, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, but just just the idea that, you know, it's it's the whole of our life needs to to testify to the Lordship of Christ. And in that decision, it'll be consistent with what they've seen in our, with the pattern of our living and our working. Um, and hopefully that will compel them to hopefully believe and repent too.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's very helpful just to even consider our, you know, our conduct that work leading up to that decision, right? That's very important and can strengthen our testimony when we have to make that decision you know to maybe get fired right for um for the sake of of Christ and yeah the scripture is clear on you know not submitting to authorities when they're ca- they're calling us to sin and so thank you for those reminders um we are at 9:30 which is when we were supposed to close but maybe we'll go with one more question and then um yeah we can close it for today um we'll jump around a little bit we'll just skip to uh, the last one here. Uh, so the last one is if work keeps you away from church and the church body, what ways, uh, or I guess what things can you do to stay grounded in your faith? So, you know, I think this is asking about like, there may be seasons where you're, you're away from the body for a long, like more frequently or longer periods of time. How can you stay grounded in your faith? Hey, you can start.
1: Yeah. Um, Maybe I'll let Ted address the question more directly, but I I first kind of want to address the assumption perhaps that, um, you know, we need to keep that job. You know, I know that, that that may not be the popular thing to say, but I do think that's an assumption that we, we kind of need to be able to look at as well and see if even that assumption is valid where. You know, I'm not saying that, okay, everybody who has a job that keeps them away from church, you need to, you need to quit, right? But I don't think that's off the table necessarily either, right? It's not a foregone conclusion that it's job above all else and then everything else that we do fits around the job because that shows, hey, there's a priority here, right? And what does that priority show about who Christ is, right? So, you know, I, th- I wanna start there. Don't necessarily act recklessly or without prudence, you know, seek counsel on these things, but at the same time, our jobs and our work is not untouchable. And I think sometimes, especially in our culture, that is sort of the operating assumption that, okay, we can't compromise the job, but we can compromise everything else around that. And I don't think that's a good starting point to have. So I'll just address that assumption first and, you know, let Ted address they know that the question more directly as far as someone who is in that situation
2: yeah i appreciate what kevin said because sometimes god is calling us to be unemployed so that we can be part of his church right other times he calls us to be in a job where for a season we're out of church for for an extended period you know you think you know through the history of of the bible you know men who have sort of been taken out of that ideal situation, you know, guys like Daniel, guys like Joseph, where they're not really with the people of God, where they can receive encouragement and investment, things like that. Yeah. God had a purpose for that. Right. And so, um, yeah, we don't look at that and say, well, that's prescriptive. Therefore I'm going to choose a job where it's going to take me away from church intentionally. No, but we see how God does call people. And I think that's where we sort of have to land is where is the Lord calling me to, right? And sometimes it is to persevere in a job where you are apart from church, but you're doing everything you can to attend Logos, go to prayer, you know, stay connected, right? And, and believing and praying and trusting that the Lord might, you know, provide a way of way through it, right? No temptation has overtaken us, but such as common man. So God will provide, he is faithful. And so you're, there's one where you're, you you realize this is where the Lord's called me and I just need to trust him and persevere and wait upon him. You know, there are other times where the Lord is calling you to maybe give up those things, right? And just to, to say, I've been holding on to this too tightly and Lord, I'm just going to trust you that, yeah, I don't know when my next job is going to come, but I see how it's impacting spiritually. And so. How do you make that decision? I I think, again, you have the word of God, you have prayer, but you also have the church. You have members of the church, godly men and women in your life, your discipleship group leaders, God has placed over you to help you make those decisions so that you're not led away from the deceitfulness of your heart, so that you're not drawn away from the temptations of the world, so that you really are making a decision that's honoring to Christ and pleasing to him, right? And so you want to avail yourself to all the means of grace God has given to us and not cut ourselves off from the blessing that God is, intends to give to us through the church, through his word, right. But really immersing ourselves in everything that God has given us to make these sort of decisions and wisdom, you know, out of fear of the Lord. And so, um, yeah, it's a t- tough decision, you know, and it's a tough place to be. Um, and it does require a lot of wisdom, a lot of prayer, but that's where the church can surround you and praying for you and, and, and help shepherd you in these sort of tough decisions
0: yeah thanks. um I think we'll probably have to close it for today we We are at nine thirty five so um yeah, I definitely appreciate all of the answers and uh, just the ref- references back to scripture and you know allowing the word of God to really ground um, the thinking behind these answers. so appreciate that. Um, I'm going to just close us by reading uh, one passage and then um yeah, I'll give some announcements and then we'll we'll close our time. Uh, So, if you would turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Go ahead and read that. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So hopefully that's a reminder to each each of us to really seek the kingdom of God, right? And really seek to uh, and pursue the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in, in Christ. So, um, yeah, with that, I'll just give a few announcements and then uh, I'll close our time in prayer. So for Lagos, our final large group Bible study will take place Wednesday, August 2nd, uh, here at the SDA Church. We're planning on having another Q&A, uh, this time with not only the elders, but also our pastoral interns, Teddy and JC. So we'll be looking forward to that. Uh, the topic for that session will be on relation on relationships. Um, we'll be sending out another Google form for uh, to field questions, so please look out for that if you'd like to submit a question. And remember, we are generally going first come first serve on the question. So if you want your question answered, please try to submit it sooner uh, than than later. Um, And for a couple other announcements, uh, we have our new start time on Sunday. Uh, Starting Sunday, August 6th, we'll be moving the start of the service to 9 a.m. So please make sure to adjust your calendars and uh, prepare accordingly. Um, lastly, we have our, uh, please mark your calendars for our next all church picnic after Sunday service on August 6th. Uh, we will be at Ponderosa park in Sunnyvale and everyone is encouraged to bring their own lunch and, uh, snacks and drinks will be provided. So, uh, please mark your calendars for that time as well. Well, with that, I'll just close our time. One last word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, session where our elders were able to answer some questions that were given by our congregation here, and Lord, we thank you that they were able to point to your Word uh, first and foremost to guide uh, the answers, and Lord, that we uh, we thank you that they didn't offer their their own wisdom, their own experience, um, but really that they relied on your Word and. That really is your calling for each and every one of us as we consider uh, the different decisions that we need to make regarding uh, related to work, finance, education. Lord, you are first and foremost uh, concerned about our walk with you. And uh, we pray that you would help us to just prioritize our walk with you uh, before any of these other things. Uh, but even when we are faced with, with these decisions, Lord, how are we... Um, Making these decisions to honor you, Lord, would you help us to think through these things uh, with you at the forefront of our minds and not uh, just the pragmatic ways of thinking—the ways that the world would encourage us to to think through things. Um, Lord, we know that it's easy to be swayed by uh, pragmatism, but Lord, we know that you call us to be faithful, and we know that uh, the wisdom that you—the uh, wisdom that comes from you—is uh, foolishness to the world and Lord we just pray that you would help us to trust in you uh, through the difficult decisions that we may need to make uh, and trust that you are sovereign that you will take care of us uh, and that you are good and Lord that you uh, don't allow us to be tempted beyond our ability so we thank you again for this time and we pray that we'd all be able to walk away from this just uh, ready to apply the, the truths that we've heard today uh, in our everyday lives. And so we thank you again. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.